Peter Williams from One O'Clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. This is Reality Check Radio on a Friday afternoon. Well, coming up on Monday in Christchurch, the Health Practitioners Disciplinary Tribunal are holding a hearing about Dr. Sam Bailey. The notice of the hearing, which is open to the public, does not actually state any particular charge. So let's find out what charges Sam Bailey might be facing, what could happen to her, and whether or not she's going to defend herself or even go to the hearing. Hello, Sam. Thanks for joining us here on RCR. You better tell us what this is all about. Oh, and by the way, before we uh, bring you in, I just have to say that Sam lives in the country, uh, not far from Christchurch. Sometimes the reception is a bit dodgy, so uh, we apologise in advance for any little dropouts that might happen during this call. But good to see you, Sam. Is life good in the country before we talk about the hearing? (laughs) I love it, yes. It's been the best move we've ever done. But yeah, no, thank you. It's it's such a pleasure to be able to talk to you. (laughs) All right. So what's happening on Monday? So, yes, uh, I didn't even know. I don't know what the charges are, Peter, to be honest with you. I found out through a friend that uh, my name was on the disciplinary tribunals, uh, you know, the website. And it doesn't specify anything. I haven't received anything from the disciplinary tribunal as to an invitation. I haven't been served or had a summons, so I'm not entirely sure. But I have some belief because another doctor has been through this about a month ago that they'll probably try and charge me with practicing outside of my scope uh, of medical practice. I don't know how that relates to making YouTube videos, (laughs) but apparently they think it's the practice of medicine. Um, And the big one that they I think they'll try and do is just bringing the profession into disrepute, which I don't think they're doing very well just by themselves. So what's your current status as a doctor? Do you have a practicing certificate? Are you still registered or are those different things? Yeah, so it's essentially I'm any doctor in New Zealand that is seeing patients and prescribing medications, that's when you have, you're on the register, but you also have a practicing certificate. I don't have a practicing certificate anymore. I let mine lapse um, in halfway through 2021 when I was, heavily pregnant um, and just thought I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, So I'm still on the register and one of the things I think has been very deliberate from the medical council is that I've tried to get off the register saying I don't want anything to do with them but they have kept me on the register because I think they've been trying to cook up some charges and to essentially strike me off. So what you believe has happened is that even though you have asked to be taken off the register of uh, of medical practitioners, they want to keep you on so that they can strike you off and make an example of you. Do you think there's something of, of that in what's happening on Monday? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And I, it has been – I mean, this has started – it started originally in September 2020. I was the first – I think the first doctor in New Zealand to be investigated for speaking out about COVID-19. And that was through my YouTube videos that I'd make. Um, And in those things, I'd never tell people what to do. I would just present the scientific evidence and let people make up their own minds. And, and, you know, at the same time, there are other people, um, for example, um, Dr. Michelle Dickinson, the nano girl um, person who has been uh, giving, you know, promoted by the government and the agencies that she's allowed to give advice. She's an engineer, a PhD, you know, and but she's not a doctor. She's not being investigated by the authorities for speaking out, you know, speaking about COVID-19. And I know also um, from a, a friend of mine that um, she was paid to do, to advise people, like teachers, for example, about how they should be taking the, you know, the vaccine. So in workplaces and things, she was giving that advice. But for me, I'm not allowed to, because I'm on the register with the medical council, they deem it that they can control me, you know, my speech um, because of that. And <laughs> it's, it, it's you know, going to go nowhere. So when did you start becoming, what's the word, sceptical about 
modern day medicine. You graduated from Otago University at the med school there as far back as 2005. So you've, you've, you've been working in medicine for the best part of 20 years. But when did you start thinking, hmm, this is not all what it's cracked up to be. This is not what they told me at medical school. Yeah, um, well, I guess, you know, I I was very, yeah, conventionally trained and I always was curious about things, but I didn't really, I, I mean, I have to say it was the probably the beginning of 2020 when my real awakening eyes were opened finally. And it's because of what happened to me where I had been, I'd been Golden Girl. I'd been a presenter for a TV show um, where, you know, a health show. And I, one of my friends suggested that I make um, YouTube videos and about, and I thought, actually, that's really cool because I really enjoyed the presenting side of things about health topics. And at the beginning of 2020, started questioning, you know, things just weren't making sense. In 2020, it was very difficult to, um, find out what was going on in Italy, what was happening in China to get real information. And people would ask me in my YouTube channel um, at that point what was going on, you know, what explain about masks and social distancing. So I started doing, you know, my own research into that along with my husband, Mark, who was, who's also a, a medical doctor, who was a medical doctor. And uh, he discovered this book, Virus Mania, which uh, it was a, a huge paradigm shift for me. It was a, a book that was written in 2007 by these two German authors. Um, one was a doctor and the other was an investigative journalist. And in this book, uh, he, they talk about all of the different pandemics. So, for example, um, HIV, swine flu, Spanish flu, hepatitis C, all, bird flu, all sorts of things. And you could see that COVID-19 was just the latest in this series of pandemics. And this, it just, it shocked me because it showed the scientific literature. I'd never seen it like this before. And I'd never, we'd never been taught about it at medical school. Um, so question, you know, the actual scientific literature that had questioned um, uh like germ theory as it is. Anyway, um, once I kind of read that um, book, I started making videos <laughs> on the themes of it and it had such an influence on me. And when in September 2020, um, I made one video that where, where I spoke about um, that I wouldn't get a vaccine if and when it came to New Zealand. And I knew from that point that... It, you know, everything kind of came crashing down where I was asked to stop coming in to my workplace, a place that I worked at for like 12 years. I was fired from the TV show that I'd been part of. The medical council were investigating me. Um, and there was all these smear articles in mainstream media. And I knew at that point, um, you know, that this is this is so much bigger, what you're touching on when you're right over the target um, it's it's kind of scary, but at the same time, it's really empowering because you know that this is what I once believed to be true about what I was taught in medical school. I now realise there's so much of it is, is not true. So what you're being really is a true scientist. You are testing scientific theory, and both you and your husband have decided that the traditional scientific theory, the stuff that we all believed, that we all knew, uh, is is not true. But when you go to have a discussion about this, when you go to have a peer-to-peer -peer discussion with other scientists, with other, me other medical professionals, how far do you get? Does anybody want to engage in what you're saying, to, to have an argument with you, to try and prove that you're wrong and they're right? <laughs> I know, and uh, yeah, it, 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 you get nowhere, <laughs> essentially. And that's what's funny is that we know the arguments, the conventional, we, we, we were taught this, you know, this is something that I know by the back of my hand, it's it's um, so familiar to me. But, um, and this is what the Medical Council have done, that they've said that I've spread misinformation, but they won't say what the misinformation is. I've asked them, I'm, please tell me what... What is it? What is it? 
that's wrong that I've said. Let's, you know, let's talk about this. But they, they won't um, because it, it goes counter to the narrative and um, of what, and there are agendas at play that they need to happen. Um, and if you go against that, then you'll, you know, they all they can do is discredit you. So, yeah, in terms of colleagues, it's, I mean, you get ostracised quickly because um, it, it's, t- it's too uh, confronting for people. And, I mean, I don't blame them. I think it, it, it is. It's really hard. It, it wasn't like I just, you know, this wasn't a snap decision that both Mark and I made. This has been after years of research into it and realising, oh, my gosh, this is, this is, there's a huge amount of fraud taking place. And... Nobody's saying anything. Nobody's talking about this. And part of it, particularly with things like virology, is that it's very technical and it's very hard to, for people to understand. And I, I couldn't, when I first started it, I, I didn't understand a lot of it. It took me a long time to really um, get down into the, the weeds and understand what these terms and things mean. And most doctors don't understand um, what happens in these labs. They're dealing with patients, you know. So that has been wonderful in a way and also for us it's been so empowering that we can share this information to others in a video format or in written format um, so that they can they can learn it themselves too. So is your essential thesis, and I heard Mark talking with Rodney Hyde, gosh, it must have been August last year and I think that was when Rodney was on the platform before Rodney was... <laughs> banned from the platform. That's why he's now here on RCR. But he spoke to Mark and I remember listening fascinatingly, absolutely fascinated because I, I was I was driving through Geraldine of all places. That's how I sometimes, you know, you just know where you are when you hear this stuff. And I'm thinking this guy, Mark Bailey, he must be married to Sam Bailey. He is saying that COVID-19 is not really a thing. It is, it's not a virus at all. And in fact, there is no such thing as a virus. And I'm thinking, hang on, this is pushing back against, what, 100 years of medical science. How can he be right and history be so wrong? So I'm surely, yeah. I'm sure that's the argument that's being pushed your way all the time. But how, how can you guys be so sure that you are right? Yeah, well, like I say, it's been understanding virology and a big way that we got there was through this book virus you know virus mania but essentially i mean it gets technical (laughs) but a lot of what um we're told they're just assertions and they don't actually follow the scientific method um germ theory as such as a actually a refuted hypothesis it's not even a theory (laughs) but um one of the big wake-up calls for me peter was when i understood um there's, there were these experiments done in the Spanish flu era, the Rosenau experiments, um, and I'm sure uh, maybe some of your viewers know about this, but they um, tested about 50 prisoners um, in the early 1900s where they, as part of the thing of getting off their prison sentence early, they were allowed to come into these hospitals with Spanish flu patients and they tried to infect them with um, the germs, you know, so they would take swabs from the patient's noses, they took blood samples and injected them, they got the patients to um, cough and spit on them, rub the secretions in their eyes. They did everything they could to try and infect the 50 patients, um, prisoners. Why were they trying to do that? Why were they trying to do that? they're trying to show contagion, to show that Spanish flu is a contagious entity, a virus. And they couldn't infect any of the 50 prisoners. All of them were well. And they've repeated this experiment as well. Um, you can look it up. It's it's just unbelievable to read it and to see what they did and that they couldn't do it. And this is the thing. They've never been able to show transmissibility of so-called contagion and that's just one aspect of it of the problems with virology (laughs) there's a lot (laughs) but um and it would take us a long discussion to go into all the the details but when people actually really start looking at this original scientific you know literature and this is an example the Rosenau experiments were never taught to me at medical school and it's shocking to know this that you think what they're claiming everywhere 
that if you are around people that there's a virus sitting on a you know on a windowsill somewhere that can infect you and make you sick that that's not true um and you realize that with a pandemic um they need the, the virus is the ultimate enemy because it, you can't see it you can't touch it it's this invisible thing that can make you sick and can kill you and you can control people in lots of ways if you have this entity so both mark and i have like i say for the last three years we um, research and make videos about all these different viruses and talk about what's actually what's making people sick really it's not the cover story of a virus then what is it why do people get sick and that's what we do (laughs) So basically, you and Mark say there is no such thing as a virus. Is that your that's your bottom line call? Yes. Yeah. There's, we've ne- never seen scientific evidence for the existence of a virus, and we've done a challenge, a um, what they call a settling the virus debate statement, which is with uh, other international doctors as well around the world, um, to on their own terms to do these um, experiments. Um, using the scientific method with adequate controls. Um, And we've uh, put that out there and no lab will take it on because it's, it's, they can't, it's fraud essentially. There's even a a chap in Germany um, who has offered one and a half million euros to anyone that can prove through the scientific method that SARS-CoV-2 exists and no one has taken him up on that. So how many other doctors or scientists in New Zealand agree with the way that you guys think? Um, well, I don't <laughs> I don't have a, a ballpark, but I mean we're in the minority obviously, but we know of many um, scientists and other doctors who you know have started have looked into it themselves and have agreed. Um, I know that uh, it's a lot of uh, people need to get into it and read about this stuff. It's not like you can just accept it, for you know, for, um, on face value. And for us, it's, like I say, it's taken a long time to get to this point. Um, and Mark's written a 30,000-word treatise on this subject, um, which, again, we've had no refutations for. We, we want people to come and tell us, you know, show us what's wrong so that we, you know, that can help us. But it doesn't happen. There's just no discussion. It's silence and censorship um, because, again, people, um, particularly the authorities, do not want um, individuals looking into this area. So would people like Susie Wiles, who was so prominent, of course, in the early days of uh, the pandemic or the the COVID-19 era in this country, would she be someone that you could have a discussion with or uh, at, at, at a peer-to-peer level at, at a scientific level about what you think and how would she push back against what you guys say? I mean, yeah, it, it, well, is it her field, for instance, or not? Microbiology? Well, she, I mean, she was one of the promoted people. It's, I mean, there are, it's virologists, really, um, and in New Zealand, um, we, well, we've had no, they, they won't have a discussion about it. It's, I mean, Peter, it's so bad. <laughs> the trouble is, is I think if they got into the room, particularly with someone like my husband, Mark, who's incredibly, uh, he's very good at just, um, you know, rem- remembering, he's just got an amazing memory for details, um, can have a discussion about this. They, they won't do it. They just will shut shut it down. And Susie Wiles, I mean, she's just come out and um, what she'll do is just, slander people and say that this is all wrong but she doesn't actually go through what what we say about con, you know using the control experiment i mean what i'd like to see is the university of auckland doing these experiments with adequate controls just do it show us and then we'll shut up <laughs> it's very simple in a way I, I i but i think it's it's too this is a huge area that they won't touch because there's a lot of money at stake um both from, you know, the biotech industry testing, you know, like PCR and all that kind of stuff, and also from Big Pharma. Yes, well, we can come to that shortly. In fact, we can talk about that now and your perceived uh, 
or your, the, the way that you were defined in September of 2020 as being an anti-vax doctor. Uh, so in many respects, was your attitude towards the vaccine not so much because you were worried about the effect or the impact of the vaccine and the possible side effects, but because you didn't believe there was a virus that need to be, needed to be inoculated against in the first place? Yeah, that is exactly it, yeah. And, I mean, I didn't... <laughs> Initially, when I first started talking, you know, making these videos, I believed... I didn't. I hadn't looked into it. I hadn't looked into COVID nineteen and um, and all of that area. Um, sorry, can I just pause for? Um, <laughs> sorry, my son was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so the. Um, sorry, what was your question again? <laughs> so basically your original attitude towards the vaccine was not because you were worried about the, the side effects of the vaccine or the fact that it hadn't been tested properly uh, yeah. and it was brought to the market and brought to the population very quickly, but because you didn't believe there was a virus that needed to be inoculated against in the first place. Exactly, yes. And initially when I started... Um, looking into this, I believed in the existence of an entity called COVID-19. You know, I hadn't looked into it. I didn't understand virology at that point. But I thought what from what I could see is that it looked like the death, you know, the um, expected death was the same as the expect the life expectancy. So I thought, well, this is ridiculous. What what are we <laughs> what are we doing all these measures for when all we can see is that it, it doesn't seem to be that serious. Um, but then quickly, um, when I, both Mark and I uh, really researched into this and realised, oh my gosh, it's a much bigger scam. Yeah, there's no point taking these, any of them, any of these medications um, and, you know, including things like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, this is, this is, this is, you don't need any of it because, it's, there's nothing to be fearful of. There is no entity such as COVID-19. Essentially, what they do is just reclassify symptoms. And they've done this time and time and time again with pandemics. Um, they call something a new disease, and it's not. <laughs> there's nothing new about it whatsoever. So, yeah, for us, that was exactly it. And um, I, I had had vaccines all the way. Uh, you know, even in, I think, two th 2018 was the last time I had a vaccine it, um, and I'd vaccinated my eldest um, two children. And But I'd never looked into it and I didn't, I, and I'll admit that I was ignorant about um, the evidence for for vaccine, you know, the real, um, I hadn't looked into it. So um, I, my youngest boy, who's now two, he's never had any uh, any vaccines, and but I think people have to come to that decision themselves. That's not something Mark and I. We never try and put our own feelings onto other people. What they should do, we just try and present the scientific evidence and say, please, like, look into it yourself and research it. Don't just accept what you're being told by these so-called experts. Um, it, it's it's really actually dangerous. And as you said, like with um, big pharma. I made a video about Pfizer and the history of it. And th these are criminal organizations. And I, I say that seriously. They have they have had to pay criminal fines of up to, I think it's something like $11 billion. And, you know, for what? For, for harming, hurting people. And they get away with it every time. They can just open their doors and start a new medication. And it's like nothing's happened. Yeah, it is quite extraordinary. But I just want to take you back then. So you don't believe oh, yeah. that COVID-19 exists. You don't believe that there is such a concept as a virus. Then how come we get sick? How come we sneeze and we cough and we have <laughs> runny noses? What causes that? Yeah, yeah. So like, I'll say I'm not denying that people don't have symptoms and get unwell. Of course, we all have. Um, but yeah, for common cold, like flu symptoms, for example, it's the body's way of detoxifying. There's only so many ways our, our bodies can get rid of um, basically toxic buildup. And when I say that, I'm not talking about a, a virus as a toxin, you know, I'm talking about um, unhealthy foods, uh, the stress that we have in our lives um, can manifest 
in physical illness through raised cortisol levels and a build-up um, in our system of basically unwanted waste products. And the body does that through, um, you know, like a, a flu-like illness. So the fever is like a bonfire. It's trying to get the body um, to remove that um, muck. And we cough, we sneeze, we're trying to eliminate um and detoxify from our bodies and uh, it can you know there's only so many ways our bodies can do it so the skin is one often rashes that's what the sign of rashes are um through our waste you know the bowels and the urine um and yeah so when people become unwell the the the, the big thing peter is that when you say that a virus is the cause of illness it's a cover story because it it basically means that you can ignore the real things that are going on for that person. And that has been the biggest shift for me is really appreciating that um, you're ignoring the real cause. And now I, the way we live as a family is so different from the way we did, you know, when we were doctors and, I, and it's sort of embarrassing for me to say, but we didn't look into things like water. How clean is your water? Where is your water coming from? Does it have chlorine in it? Does it have fluoride in it? Those things you do not need. Your body does not want. <laughs> They're toxins. Um, where does your food come from? Um, are they sprayed with glyphosate? There's all so many toxins in our environments that we just ignore and um, can actually make us really unhealthy. And pharmaceuticals are one of the biggest ones. None of us have a deficiency in pharmaceuticals. Most pharmaceuticals, if not all of them, they work on suppressing symptoms, but that doesn't address the cause, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Uh, I yeah. think of some of the things that I take for blood pressure and light asthma. Uh, yeah, they they suppress the symptoms, but I don't think they're doing anything to actually cure the issue, are they? No, and that's the shame. That's one of the huge problems with allopathy and why I don't want anything more to do with it because it's got nothing to do with health. It's about repeat business, about you coming back to the doctor. And, I mean, doctors themselves are not bad people, you know. I... I uh, some of my closest friends were, you know, were doctors, but they're very misguided about what health is. They have such a poor understanding of actually what causes disease and why people get sick. And, you know, vaccines are, are one of the worst. They are, are just toxic, toxic products and they're filthy and I wouldn't advise them. You know, I, I'm never, I don't want to ever have them <laughs> ever again in our family. But people, like I say, you have to get there yourself and um, look into it and think about, look at the reasons why, um, you know, what's everything that's going on in your life. Um, they call that terrain theory, which is understanding like a plant. A plant doesn't get sick from a virus. It gets sick from not enough water, not enough food, you know, poor soil, um, too windy. You know, there's just an infinite number of things that, that can influence that plant and make it look unwell and be sick. Um, and that's just like humans. We, we have to look at everything in our environment. You know, when I hear you talk, Sam, I can see why they want you to go in front of this tribunal on Monday, because what you are doing, in effect, is challenging the entire concept of medicine as a profession and as an industry. So that's why they regard you as dangerous, isn't it? Particularly when you have quite the following that you do through your or what used to be your YouTube channel. I think you're on Odyssey now, aren't you? So that regard still, that regard you as a dangerous channel. person. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I don't even know, Peter, like I've thought about this a lot about what is it exactly that they are fearful of. And I think they are worried about people listening to me and what I say. But I, do you know, I think the biggest thing for them is that they know they can't buy me. I am not for sale. <laughs> I just, I don't, I make mistakes, but, you know, I say what I believe to be true and, and no one will control my speech and, I've felt as soon as I chose that path and that happened early on in, you know, September when the um, TV show lawyer rang me and said, take down your video. And I said, I'm not doing it. I, I, I'm just, I'm not. And I realized at that point what the strength of saying that, of saying, no, you're not controlling what I say anymore. And that, I think, is what really scares them. 
Well, you walked from the TV show. You could have kept your job. Now, having spent a fair bit of time in television myself, I know that those sorts of jobs are not all that, you know, lucrative in terms of the pay, but it's good profile for you, isn't it? So, And there's a certain amount of ego involved, so it would have been nice to have to have kept that role, but you decided your principles were more important than being on television. Uh, I had a similar experience myself when I left my radio show just on a couple of years ago as well, because I was being threatened with, uh, you know, having to say what they wanted me to say, and I had principles. So you were in a position to be able to walk away. I was in a position to be able to walk away, and you know, we we've done what we've done. Uh, I feel much better for it. I don't regret it for a moment, and I presume that in terms of a TV career, you don't regret it for a moment either because your your videos have been a runaway success, haven't you? And I, I, I take it that that's your main source of income these days. Yeah, it, it has been. like, um, Yeah, it, it's been – I don't regret it for a second either. And I think, I'm, you know, you have these crossroads in your life, <laughs> points of moments in time where you can – you can see it in front of you. You can see which way – you can go. And I, I, I won't say it wasn't really, it was hard, you know, um, not just the TV thing. I, I mean, I got sacked from my work as a doctor as well. I couldn't, I couldn't go in anymore. Um, and, but at the same time, it is such an empowering step. And it's, I'm so grateful for that. I mean, my income now um, is really, it's through people. I mean, people are amazing. It just actually makes me cry sometimes where People are so generous, and it's from donations, from people um, supporting my work through membership, you know, to my website, um, through books. Uh, that's my main form of income. And um, I think what's lovely about both Mark and I, Mark's very, um, I've been so lucky with him because he's always been on the same page as me. We've never had, we've never really disagreed about this. We could see what was going on in front of us, and both of us would try and sort of figure it out together what was what was the best way forward for our family um but he yeah was very much like supported me and said Sam you can't you know you can't do this you can't have them control you like this and um yeah so I think it's it's wonderful and and the feedback I get from people is just amazing I I just you know I wouldn't have it any other way (laughs) So just getting back to this hearing coming up on Monday, if they accuse you in absentia of disseminating misinformation or disinformation, uh, are you going to at any stage fight back against it, even though you aren't there on the day or won't be there on the day if you read reports or get a get a report from the Health Practitioners Disciplinary Tribunal saying that you've been deregistered or struck off for spreading misinformation uh will you will you fight back against that or at least ask what the misinformation is (laughs) look i just i just don't care quite honestly about it but like you can end up spending so much time and i did that like hours and hours and you can end up trying to fight it through the legal system and it costs i mean they're going to try and find me I'd, I'd, you know, a quarter of a million dollars. It will be something huge, but um, it's, I don't, for me, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what they say or do, you know, do to me and that, it doesn't, that doesn't matter to me. It's more important. I I want to be, I want off the register, quite honestly. I've I've been trying to get off there, but it's more important, um, like the people that will never listen to me won't listen to me now, you know what I mean? Like even I'm not off the register, it doesn't matter whether <laughs> I've been struck off or not, they they won't listen to me, period. I My kind of loyalty is to people that um, will pay, you know, will listen to my videos and at least um, have an open mind. The I think this is such a cook-up that there's no way, and even I could see that with the, you know, a lot of the legal cases um, that happened, you know, with like NZDS arrested, with Sir Gray, it all didn't, none of them worked. And I'm very doubtful that you can, I could turn it around. Maybe I could, but I know at the same time that there are other like Peter Canaday and things who will, he wants to fight any kind of um, 
that any negative thing against him. Um, I just don't care. <laughs> yeah, with the Peter Canaday thing, you say that's been four months since the hearing and there is still no decision that's been handed down from this uh, HPDT. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll wait. I think it's, uh, it's deliberate, yeah. Yeah. It's because they don't know what to do with it, yeah. So if you um, are fined and if they slap $250,000 on you, what legal standing does that fine have? Do you have to pay it? Can they send somebody around, a debt collector, to come around to get you to pay it? Can they make you bankrupt if you don't pay it? Yeah, again, with this, um, they we use the equity law process, um, which means that we wouldn't have to pay them anything. Yeah, it's it's they don't have a trust with me. It's an interesting from a legal perspective. It's a quasi court. It's not like um, they. Can, it's not like the district court or the high court where they can come and arrest you. You know and take you it's nothing like that so um they can try all these other things but i'm not going to be paying them any money Mm, i would hope not uh (laughs) (laughs) talking of money that that total that you added up on your video about pfizer that i watched the other night i think you made that when early july this year didn't you uh just over a month or so ago you added up all the fines that Pfizer have uh, have attracted in the United States, and it comes to over eleven billion dollars. I mean, that's I've never heard that number before. That that that's quite staggering. I heard about that uh, the fine that they got in two thousand and nine, which was for what two point three billion, which was the biggest fine in American criminal history at the time, and I presume that is still the record. But eleven billion in total. When you think about that, it's just quite remarkable that Pfizer still exists as a company. You would think its reputation would be shot to pieces knowing that it's racked up that <laughs> that amount of money in fines, wouldn't you? I know, but, I mean, look at how much money they made, you know, <laughs> more recently. It's just it's part of their – it's the cost of business. That's the sick truth about it is that it's, it's a cost of business for them. So they – and, you know, they spend a fortune on marketing. And so it's always trying to give themselves that rosy look, even though they're, they're I mean, it's it's uh, not my words, but um, another author, Peter Gotch, they wrote a book um, a, called and called them Organised Crime. Because <laughs> that's essentially what they are. They just repeatedly offend and it, and they pay the, the, the fines and, in that video, we go through all of the things that happened, and um, and it's shocking, you know, the human rights injustices. It's it's so bad, but they get away with it um, over and over again. And and I think, you know, what is the way of fighting it is that you don't support them, you don't use their products. It, it's it's the whole model is wrong. And their most cynical move of all, of course, is to sponsor so many news shows on American television. And you no doubt have seen that montage of all the yeah. all, all the news programs you know, brought to you by Pfizer. This segment's sponsored by Pfizer, et cetera, et cetera. And so it goes on. And it's literally all across the American broadcast landscape. So you can't get away from the fact that Pfizer is sponsoring news programs day in, day out. So if you're... If you're sponsoring a news program, you're not going to ask questions or or criticise the company. You're not going to, to bite the hand that feeds you, eh? Exactly. And equally with that, the, the you know, the mainstream media, as you know, is so heavily controlled as well. And it all, it all they all work together in that way where it's a crafted narrative. And, yeah, they are. It's, 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 um, it's so bad when you look at the history. And what I was really interested to know about with Pfizer is that it was originally started by a chemist and a confectioner's son, you know, that made chocolates and stuff. <laughs> it just it made me laugh that this is, and that's why in the video I did, you know, a spoonful of sugar um, makes the medicine go down because that was originally another interesting thing that they did with polio where, um, the polio vaccines, they worked out that it was good to give, you know, sugar along with it, make it sweet so that people will take, and that's where the song kind of originates from. <laughs> Indeed. Well, I remember taking that 
oral vaccine when I was about six or seven years of age, so I presume there was a bit of sugar in that. But it begs the question also, why would the New Zealand government, or indeed any government, deal with an organisation that has been fined in its history over $11 billion. I mean, you, nobody's ever going to ask the Prime Minister or the Minister of Health that question, but really, why would you deal with an organisation that has such an extensive history of being fined? Yeah, of committing fraud, I know. Yeah, I, and <laughs> it's pretty self-explanatory, I think, the answer. It's, yeah, the... It's, I mean, the corruption, and it's so dreadful. Um, but like I say, I think um, people on some level need to take um, their own responsibility and take the power away from them. And it's that you don't support these organisations in any way. Um, yeah, it's 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 dreadful. So. What do you think then about modern medical training? Because I remember doing an interview with a, a woman that you probably know uh, back in my radio days, a woman called Alison Goodwin, Hawke's Bay doctor, who she made a, a comment to me during the course of the interview, which I regard as really, really profound. She said, at medical school, they teach you about anatomy and they teach you about disease and they teach you about drugs, but they don't teach you about health. And I thought, wow. Uh, do you believe that we are teaching our doctors the right things? Is there any move to teach our doctors the right things these days? No. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with Alison. And, um, I mean, another huge area that is ignored is diet. Uh, I mean, when you go in, I used to work as a GP, you know, you go in and you see someone and you want to get some advice um, and you say, you know, someone's overweight and you come in, what can I do? What the doctor spends hardly any time on the most fundamental areas, and and diet's massive. It's um it's a huge area of what causes ill health, and uh, it's definitely not taught at medical school. It's a it's heavily focused. I mean, what are the things that doctors can offer you? They can offer you drugs, you know, medicines as such. They can offer you surgery, and they can offer you tests. You know, and it's just um, it, essentially that's that's the <laughs> that's the sales pitch, and they're not interested in curing illness because that's you know repeat business gone out of you know out the door. And I mean, it's it's really shocking to know another area that's interesting to me is um, surgery. For so, for example, a lot of these disciplinary tribunals that they do, they have a very low rate of looking at surgeons at surgery. And I just think statistically, why is that the case? It's that they're mostly looking at GPs. And you think that surgeons, they, you know, <laughs> they're, they're cutting into people, they're causing harm, but they're really protected in this um, by the colleges and, and such. They're not investigated. And I, and I think that that's deliberate as well. It's, you know, they, there are things I remember in my own training or when I worked as a doctor, there was a huge... Um, pressure when you did the surgical runs that you had to get patients through the 30 days post-surgery and that's because coroners won't investigate after that point 30 days up it's nothing to do with the surgery and you, you know there's all these you know thousands of different influences that are going on that are actually you know really bad um, and nobody says you know nobody says anything about it <laughs> It's just the whole model is is wrong, in my opinion, and I don't see medical schools changing that because, um, you know, most of the training that you get is, again, by proxy funded through uh, Big Pharma as well. You learn about pharmacology. Where does that information come from? It's basically Big Pharma. Yeah, and during the height of the COVID-19 uh, outbreak, the COVID-19 era, Otago University was more than happy to say that it was receiving funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and from the Global Vaccine Alliance as well. So, I mean, you put one and one together, you can only get two. No wonder, <laughs> no wonder they were not prepared to discuss uh, the possibility that this vaccine might be dangerous for you or might be harming you. 
Exactly. And I mean, this this whole setup with all the academic institutions, this is, this is again, not happened overnight. I mean, when I was down in Otago University learning, I had no idea about any of that stuff, of, of realising the levels of how much the information that you're taught is controlled. And I mean, it's fascinating to really, I, I made another, it's one of my favourite videos actually, is about polio and the Rockefeller medicine influence. And in that video talk about um, the history of how medical schools and things were set up. Um, and again, this is all not <laughs> accidental. It's uh, to create a controlled industry. And that's what, you know, the health system is. It's very controlled. And if you step outside of it, like I did, you're immediately ostracized. You can't be part of it unless you go along with all of it, like go along with germ theory, the whole, the whole, you know, nine yards, and the but the academic institutions themselves, and it's not just Otago, you know, Auckland, all of them are very much, um, you know, co-opted, I guess, by where they get their funding from, what kind of research you can do, you know, it's, it's very um, controlled, and you know that when you're in, when you're in it, like uh, I used to work in clinical trials and, and where they would be applying for study grant money for H from the HRC and things, and it's it, you have to to go along with the the narrative of whatever it is that they want. You know, particularly big pharma pushed. Um, otherwise, you won't get the money, you won't get the funding, and I, mean, I just don't know how you undo that or fix it. It's um, it's endemic, and it's not just New Zealand. This is kind of a worldwide problem. Um, within all the academic institutions. Yeah, I was made aware of this when I read uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s book on Anthony Fauci, you know, the, the real Anthony Fauci. Uh, and I, I didn't realise until I was, I was in that book that the whole pharmaceutical industry began essentially as an offshoot of the oil industry. The Rockefeller Oil Company, Standard Oil, had all these leftover products after they'd extracted the oil and turned it into gasoline. So they had to start the pharmaceutical industry as a way of using the byproducts. And therefore, the Rockefeller Foundation found, uh, funds so many medical schools to this day in the United States, doesn't it? And the whole uh, medico-pharma industry is a derivative of the oil industry. Exactly. I know. And it's it's shocking to... You know that you can live your life and feel like you know everything, and then suddenly you're open. You get a wee peek through the the curtains of this world and realise, oh my gosh, this is nothing. <laughs> nothing is what I thought it was to be, and thought it was, and um, yeah, it's it is incredibly shocking. Yeah, and you know, say what you like about R.F. Kennedy Jr., but uh, he's he's criticised Fauci right up the wazoo. He has not been sued once, so uh, everything in that book. It must be uh, must be kosher because nobody's taking him to court. He said some pretty outrageous things. I would have thought, but he uh, he sold a million copies of it, and it seems to be factually correct. So there you are. Talking of books, yeah. talking of books, Sam, uh, Virus Mania. You are you and Mark and our contributors to it. So uh, how do we get hold of it? Is it readily available uh, to this time in in New Zealand? Yeah, it's, um, so I ended up, you know, because I was just going to really quickly tell you that story, but um, how I ended up getting involved in this book, because I, you know, I read it, it's the, the earlier edition, back, back in early 2020, and two weeks after everything kind of happened to me, where I lost my job and the TV show and everything else, they had all these smear articles, the author from the book um, emailed me and said, Sam, would you be interested in interviewing my co-author? And he had no idea that I that his this book had changed my entire life, really, the entire course of where I was going. And um, he, I said, oh, my gosh, it would be amazing to listen. Please, yeah, can, let's do it. And so we did this interview and we got on so well. He said, you know, do you want to be part of the next edition? that we're writing, you know, there's a German edition, but there'll be a new English edition and we're going to talk about COVID. And so I said, oh my gosh, thank you. That would be amazing. So I became a co-author for the book 
And um, yeah, so we actually, we've got a limited supply of the book that we bring into New Zealand <laughs> because it's, a, it's not, um, I guess, censored, but I can't get it like at Wickles or anything like that. It's not the kind of, um, I don't know if... Sorry, we're breaking up a bit here, Sam. I'm sure oh. I'll, I'll get you back shortly. I, the perils of living in the country. Uh, yeah, well, you can't get the yeah. real Anthony Fauci at Whitcalls or Paper Plus either. So, oh, is that <laughs> yeah. true? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that's a book well, that I mean, uh, people will have their eyes really uh, opened wide once they've read that. But anyway, carry on about virus mania. Yeah, so if you want to get the book, you can email us. Um, I think there'll be details in the um, podcast, but it's um, you can basically email to shop at drsambailey.com and um, just with virus mania voices in the subject line and yeah it's a it's a pretty it's an extensive read so it's over i don't know 480 pages or so and there's about 1100 references and it's it truly is um a book that changed my life and i would strongly encourage people to have a look at it. Um, there is, you can also actually get it on audiobook as well if you like that, or ebook on Amazon. Um, yeah, so. All right. Um, it, yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Sam. I know we've had our technical issues uh, finally <laughs> connecting, but I'm glad that we've uh, got you basically with pretty good quality for over 50 minutes. And I think what you've had to say has been absolutely fantastic. So I thank you for your time. Uh, this afternoon. Uh, we'll await now to oh. see what happens on Monday at the Health <laughs> Practitioners Disciplinary Tribunal. You might be headline news Monday night, although I suspect they're going to reserve their decision, aren't they, and uh, try and figure out what the heck do we do with this pesky woman? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, well, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to talk with me, Peter. I'm a big fan and I, I really admire what you've done as well. And um, it's, yeah, it's an honour. Alrighty, thank you, Sam. Nice talking with you. This is Reality Check Radio. Peter Williams from One O'Clock on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Right now, free speech is under heavy attack in New Zealand, with the government constantly devising new ways to enforce censorship. To revive honest media and support RCR, join our Foundation Membership Club today. To learn more, visit realitycheck.radio slash members.